And, um, and then we will let's turn to our, my text tonight. It's going to be 2 Kings 18, 1 through 8. And I'll turn there too. And I had to come up with a new message. I've been preaching the same three messages all over the United States. I've enjoyed that. Uh, but then we went back to another church that took us on earlier, Heather was not feeling well. Uh, they took us on in Twin Rivers, uh, Marietta, Ohio. And I'm trying to get back to any churches that took us on. And I called the pastor, Pastor Balmer in Twin Rivers. Uh, and uh, I said, I'm, I'm willing to give a testimony coming back. And I said, he said, sure, come on back. And then I talked to him. I said, I'm willing to give a testimony or preach. And uh, he said, because I knew I didn't have many messages, and I already preached two of them there. And he says, well, I want you to preach three times. And I said, okay, yes, sir. They're supporting me. So <laughs> I spent all last week uh, praying about a message, and I came up with King Hezekiah. As I know that the two great revivals and reform in Judah came from Josiah and Hezekiah. And I said, well, let's, let's look into Hezekiah. So uh, it's a two-part message. We'll just get to one part here. But let's pray, and uh, then we'll read. No, let's read, and then we'll, yeah, read and pray. So Hezekiah 18, 1 through 8. Now it came to pass in the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. Twenty and five years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned twenty and nine years in Jerusalem. His mother his name was also Abby, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all the, that David his father did. He removed the high places and break the images and cut down the groves and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. Unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it, and he called it Nehashtan. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like among all kings of Judah, nor any that were before him, for he clave to the Lord and departed not from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord God commanded. And the Lord was with him, and he prospered whithersoever he went forth, and he rebelled against the king of Assyria and served him not. And he smote the Philistines even unto Gaza and the borders thereof, and the tower of the watchmen to the fenced city. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Crossroads Baptist Church and uh, the lighthouse that it is here in Columbia. And I just thank you that uh, missionaries are being sent out of our church. Souls are being saved. I pray that you'll, uh, the Holy Spirit will work through me as we, we minister through the word today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And uh, the title of the message is King Hezekiah, Revival and Reform. And you know, we need some reform in our country, don't we? Our country's in a mess. Uh, but where country does have Christian roots, I heard of a, a president, and my glasses will be coming on and off all the time, but we remember a president, I won't mention his name, a former president said that we are not a Christian nation. And I would have to disagree with that. Just looking at our founding uh, fathers and our leaders through the past 250 years, I want to give you some quotes uh, just because we are, in, uh, we are on uh, God and Country uh, Week, I would say. 
And I'd like, to, I'd like us to listen to some of the quotes of our founding fathers uh, to um, argue that we are a Christian nation. Ronald Reagan said, if we ever forget that we are one nation under God, then we'll be a nation ga- gone under. Andrew Jackson said, the Bible is the rock on which our republic rests. Teddy Roosevelt said, I believe that the next half century will determine if we will advance the cause of Christian civilization or revert to the horrors of brutal paganism. And that's a prophecy there, isn't it? Grover Cleveland, all must admit that the reception of the teaching of Christ results in the purest patriotism, in the most scrupulous fidelity to public trust, and in the best type of citizenship. Amen to that. John Quincy Adams, the highest glory of of the American Revolution was this. It connected in one indissolvable bond the principles of civil government and the principles of Christianity. We look at Abraham Lincoln. It behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power, to confess our national sins and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. And we need that today, don't we? We need to pray for our nation. George Washington said, It is impossible to rightly govern a nation without God and the Bible. Amen to that. Patrick Henry said this, It cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians. Not on religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can't get any purer than that, can it? John Jay, the first chief justice of the Supreme Court of the USA, said, It is the duty as well as the privilege and interest of our Christian nation to select and prefer Christians for their leaders. John Hancock said, To cause and benign religion of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they're not afraid to mention Jesus Christ, are they? And to be known, understood, and practiced among all the inhabitants of the earth. In George Washington, again, to the distinguished character of patriot, it should be our highest glory to add the more distinguished character of Christian. I'll go to our pilgrim fathers, and we'll be done with the quotes, but very important. William Bradford, 1620. Having undertaken for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith in honor of our king and country, a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia. Roger Williams, the first uh, person who would start a, a church, Baptist church, how frequent, how consistent ought we to be, like Jesus Christ, our example, in doing good, especially to the souls of men and especially to the household of faith. One of our pilgrim fathers there. John Winthrop, the second governor of the Plymouth Colony. And we'll, and we'll stop with this one. For we must consider that we shall be as a city upon a hill. The eyes of all the people are upon us so that if we shall deal falsely with our God in this work we have undertaken, so cause him to withdraw his presence, help from us. We shall be made a story and a world by and a world and by a world throughout the world a word throughout the world excuse me 
And that's a prophecy too, isn't it? We don't know where America's going or where it's going to be in prophecy, uh, but we can see we're heading down a bad path, aren't we? But our nation did start in Christian principles. Um, I'll give a, I'm not sure if I've given this quote here, uh, but a man named Alexis de Tocqueville in 1831-32, right before the Civil War, uh, you might have heard of him, but he said something profound. He was a French, he was a Frenchman, and he was going to be a diplomat to America, and he said, there's just something different about America. I don't, can't put my finger on it, uh, paraphrase, I'm just saying, but uh, he said, there's something different about America, and I'm going to write about it. And he did write a famous one and two book, Democracy in America. And he said, I look for America's greatness in its harbors and its rivers and its fertile lands, but I couldn't find the greatness there. He said, I looked in its rich mines and its world commerce and its forest, and I couldn't find the greatness of America there. I looked in its schools and democracy and its constitution, and I could not find the greatness of America there. Not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because she is good, and if America ceases to be good, she'll be ceased to be great. And we praise the Lord for that. And I encourage uh, all of us that, you know, the greatness of America is because of God's word, isn't it? And because the Christians that are sitting in the Bible-preaching churches of America uh, through our founding. And the darker the night, the brighter the light. But we see, as the family goes, so goes the nation and the church. And we have problems in our nation. We have uh, a bad culture as we've seen just last month, uh, we just uh, don't look forward to June no more, do we, with this Pride Month. Uh, they have taken, you know, we need to pray for those that are, uh, that are homosexual, don't we? Those that are of that uh, sin right now. But they have taken over the White House. Uh, they've taken over sporting events, uh, shopping grocery stores, corporations, I remember last year as I was in Michigan, uh, living in Bay City, and we'd, we would uh, have church and uh, got married in Midland, Michigan. There's a big company called Dow Chemical, and the president there is actually a homosexual. And he, uh, as we were driving down the highway, we saw the Dow flag, we saw United States Dow flag, and then the, uh, the, uh, the rainbow flag, and that was sad to see. And we have a nation and culture crumbling and we are sliding to Sodom, aren't we? And we are uh, sliding to Gomorrah. We have a nation in debt. We are overspending in the trillions. And I think of my children and my grandchildren. What are we leaving them? You know, we have to fight back for that. We, as a government, should spend, really. I know this, that's, um, this is very important. I know it's a political issue. But uh, the Bible does say in Proverbs 22, 7, The rich ruleth over the poor... And the borrower's servant to the lender. And our country is becoming a lender nation, isn't it? It is becoming a borrower. We're, we're going to be uh, buried by our debt. We need to talk to our representatives and our senators. Marriages are falling apart. Uh, 50% of marriages in America end in divorce. 60 to 70, the second marriage. And uh, Malachi 2.16, For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away. God hates divorce, doesn't he? He hates to put away. Uh, but we uh, can still make a difference, can't we, in our nation? And really it's uh, leading people to the Lord, 
it's, and it's not necessarily government is, is important, representatives are important, but we'll change our culture by soul winning, won't we? Because one person gets saved, that person will vote right. He'll uh, live in the community right. He'll make America great again through being a Christian person. And we have no right to complain about our nation unless we're soul winning, unless we're getting out God's word, unless we're giving out tracts and Bibles. And we're doing that. We need to just continue to do it. I give the illustration. As I was working in Chick-fil-A, um, working on my master's, we worked there eight years, <clears throat> and the boys were working in the back, Chris, Nathaniel, Jeremy, and Jeremy would go up front sometimes. We'd have cookie selling contests sometimes, me and Jeremy. But anyways, uh, but I enjoyed that. I had Sundays off and uh, supplemented with our 401K to get through school. Um, but I would work, the main, I was like the main guy, if you came in, Pastor Dietrich come in, I would uh, take his order, and uh, somebody else came behind him. But I would um, serve about 50 to 100 people per night. Uh, that's 20, and I didn't miss a day of work, needed the money, and that's 20 uh, days in a month, worked 96 months, eight years. I serviced over 100,000, I did the math, I serviced over 100,000 people not only in, in Gaffney, but it was right by 85. People from all the way up from New England, all the way down, east, west, got to talk to them. But the sad fact is, is I only received two gospel tracts. And to me, that was startling. Uh, I don't think I look like a Christian every day. I was, I was uh, hurting. Uh, I didn't smile every day. There's not Christians, and not everybody at Chick-fil-A is a Christian. And... Um, but um, you know what? We need to get God's word out, don't we? And if we're not going to do it, no, who else is? Is it the, is the Methodist church? Is the Southern Baptist? I'm not trying to call out other denominations, but I've never seen uh, those try to reach out with gospel tracts. And we need to continue to do it. I try to encourage myself uh, and others as we get to speak, let's pass out at least one track a day. I've talked to so many different people over the last year. We've been over close to 100 churches Got to meet a lot of people, and many people got saved just by a little gospel track. Um, somebody giving them a Bible, and God's word is powerful. We need to get God's word in front of people, don't we? I remember uh, we used to, another illustration, we used to go to the, drink a lot of unsweetened tea at McDonald's. We used to like their tea there, and uh, we'd always bring John Romans there, tracks, chick tracks, all sorts of, and I got stuck to the manager and said, oh, yeah, we got these all over the, the break room, and we just kind of made... Uh, McDonald's, our mission field. We need to do that, don't we? We need to make our places, food lines, our neighborhoods. Uh, Jeremy and I have prayed about different people in our neighborhood, and we've given them a Bible. And you can give out a Bible to your neighbors, God's word. My brother did that uh, in high school about 30 years ago. My third brother was very outspoken in his Christian faith at a, in a public high school, very Roman Catholic and I was not as outspoken as he was. And he gave a friend a Bible, Roman Catholic Bible, a uh, friend a Bible, who was not saved. Uh, then through uh, Facebook and media, he would catch back up with my brother Pete. And he said, you know what? I got born again. He said, you know what? There was something about you giving me that Bible. I kept that Bible with me, and I would move and put it in the bookshelf. And he said he ran into some problems in his life. And you know what? We need, we need to give out God's word, don't we? We don't need to have to get a decision right away. But we can, we can give a person the best gift they should ever give. And we try to do that when we go out 
to dinner, but we need to try to make a difference. Proverbs 29.2, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice, but the wicked, when the wicked bear rule, the people mourn. And it seems as if we're in a time of mourning, isn't it? Psalms 33.12, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. And we need to pray, don't we? We need to be on our knees and pray. Let's turn to 2 Chronicles 7.14 and let's... If I can get you to say this with me, I think it's pretty important. We need to be in a spirit of mourning for our nation. When you get there, I would like all of us to say it together. All right, let me find it here. Here we go. Second Chronicles 7.14. Let's say this together. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, will hear their land. And that should be a constant prayer on our lips, shouldn't it? We should be praying this constantly about our nation. And we need men to stand in the gap, don't we? We need godly men. Let's turn to Joshua twenty-four fifteen. And let's get, you might know this, uh, but let's get to the part B. But as for me, you might know this already. But let's, and then let's make sure we say this too. Second, second Joshua, excuse me, 24, 15. Let's say this together. But as for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. And as we look into these kings, um, Joshua, we, we see there's eight great kings in Judah. And uh, these are our great, bold, righteous kings. We see two that rise above. And I call them the Lion Kings in Judah. Proverbs 28.1. The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. And as we study, uh, do a character study about these two kings, Josiah and Hezekiah, we see that they're the two boldest out of the kings of Judah. My proposition tonight, with the time we have left, King Hezekiah, one of the Judah, Judah's most godliest kings, lived a life as life of personal revival and reform. And revival comes from ourselves, don't it? And we have evangelists here, but the evangelists will probably tell, will tell you that revival starts in individual hearts, doesn't it? And they're there to spark the spark, but revival starts in my heart, it starts in your heart. And uh, it started in the heart of King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah loved the Lord. He loved to worship the Lord in his temple. Uh, Part two, number three, he loved God's word. And King Hezekiah had a great trust in the Lord. A little background in Hezekiah. His name means Yahweh strengthens. And as you study about Hezekiah, uh, he would have two great times where he would call upon the Lord. Uh, The Syrians, the King Sacraneb, uh, would come down to Lachish, the second largest city, destroy that, and they were at the doorstep of Jerusalem. And King Hezekiah, as uh, Sennacherib would write a blasphemous letter, he would lay the letter before the Lord. He needed Lord's strength. He would also need the Lord's strength. He had a de- he had a, some kind of a disease unto death, and he would have to pray again. He needed Lord's strength. The Lord gave him 15 more years. 
But a little bit about Hezekiah. His name means Yahweh is my strength. He was born in 739 B.C., died in 687, only 54 years old. He reigned uh, in 716 at the age of 25. He reigned for 29 years, and he is the 13th successor to King David. His lineage and his family, well, his father was King Ahaz, uh, one of the most, besides Manasseh, one of the most wicked kings also. So King Hezekiah could not look to his father for advice. And I praise the Lord that I was born in a Christian family. My parents uh, met at Bob Jones, maybe when the comforts were there. Uh, They were in the 60s, and they got to meet Bob Jones Sr., and they loved Bob Jones Sr. He was a grandfatherly type there, and uh, always making sure you were finding a wife or a husband, from what I remember, what I was told. But uh, they met there. My dad would say that was the best investment that he made. He only went three semesters. But it did help him very much. And uh, he was raised in a Christian family. I praise the Lord for that. But Hezekiah didn't have that. He had a wicked, wicked father. Uh, but his mother was Abby, Abijah, daughter of actually the high priest Zechariah. So possibly he got tutelage by his mother. And what, what a great ministry mothers have, don't they? And his wife was Hebstabah, Hebstabah. And through my studies, that was the daughter of Isaiah. And uh, I'll have to double-check that, but that's what my studies say. Can you imagine having Isaiah as your father-in-law? That'd be something, huh? And uh, Hebsabah, that's a name for Zion. That's a name for Jerusalem, a synonym for Jerusalem. And Manasseh was his son. We see that Hezekiah would have some kinks in his armor because his son was Manasseh, the most wicked king. And Hezekiah's overview. This is a two-part message. But Hezekiah's a life overage. He witnessed the destruction of the northern king by King Sargon of Assyria, 722. So he saw the fall of the northern kingdom. He witnessed God's deliverance against the Assyrian king of Sennacherib to Jerusalem, 701. And his accomplishments, like Josiah, were sweeping reforms. And he did it immediately. He had a strict mandate to worship Yahweh prohibited worship in the temple only, and he fortified Jerusalem. Uh, He is known for his fortification of Jerusalem, the broad wall, and I have not been to Israel, but those have been to Israel. You will know that there's a tunnel called Hezekiah's Tunnel. Did you travel on Hezekiah's Tunnel? Okay. It's just amazing uh, how that was done. And he lived during the time of the prophets of Isaiah and Micah. And my first point... Uh, Finally, our first point, King Hezekiah had a personal revival because he was a believer in Jehovah. And as this kind of really slowed down here, 2 Kings 18.3. Let's turn back there. Can you turn around here? 2 Kings 18.3. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that David his father did. Two things I find here that Hezekiah was an Old Testament saint. Very simply, he followed the Lord. And uh, he didn't follow his father, uh, Ahaz. He could have. He was a saved Old Testament saint. Someday we're going to see Hezekiah, I believe, in, in heaven. Definitely will. He chose to serve the Lord. He stood justified before God. And there we have to take slow down again. The doctrine of justification 
What is the doctrine of justification? It is the declaring of a person to be just or righteous. And my question to us today, are you justified before God? Are you a saved child of God? And you might think, well, that's a crazy question, isn't it? It's Wednesday night. But I've been in churches. I've been in our other church in Zebulun. And I've known people uh, that have been in church and they weren't saved. They were playing a game. And uh, I don't have time to get into illustrations, but they were not saved. They were going to church, playing a game. And we have to ask ourselves, are you justified? Are you saved? You're going to show you're saved by obeying the word of God, aren't you? I've got a family member right now that is not obeying the word of God. He thinks that he's saved, but by his fruits, I would say he's not. But how do we get saved? By the blood of Christ, Romans 5, 9. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Praise the Lord. Saved by the blood. Romans 3, 28, by faith only. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without deeds of the law. That's, and we see the grace. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are we saved through faith, not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And it's a grace. You know, what is grace? That's unmerited favor. That's a gift from God. I remember my father-in-law gave, right before he just passed, I worked at the Durham Rescue Mission 20 years, started at age uh, 60, started his ministry at 60, worked there till 85, and he gave us that town and country right out there. I didn't even ask for it. I was going to try to throw whatever together uh, to get there praying and uh, wasn't worried about it, but he gave us that town and country, and that has been a blessing for us. I didn't ask for it, uh, but he gave it to us, unmerited. It was a picture of grace. A free gift. And that's what salvation is. It's a grace by faith through the blood of Jesus. And there's no time to wait. If you're not saved today, today's the day to get saved, isn't it? You're not promised another day. And you need to do that today. Second Corinthians 6, 2. For he saith, I have heard thee in acceptable time, and in the day of salvation have I secured thee, secured thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And we would work with bus kids for uh, many years, Heather and I, and we would tell the kids that. Many kids would ride the bus, get saved. And that was a great time. My second point, King Hezekiah had a personal revival because he lived a righteous life. We go back to 2 Kings 8, 3 again. I'm slow walking this verse. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord according to all his father, all that David his father did. So not only was an Old Testament saved, he had... We see the doctrine of justification, but he lived a righteous life, didn't he? He did. By that word did, that's continuing. Are you doing that? Am I doing that? Am I living a righteous life? He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Are we doing what is right in the sight of the Lord? We have to ask ourselves, don't we? And that's the doctrine of sanctification, to live and to walk with Jesus Christ every day and to become like him. A believer is... Becoming sanctified when he or she lives according to God's design and purpose. And that is to be like Jesus, isn't it? That Greek word is, I'm going to say it wrong, but hagiadzo. Hagiadzo. Pastor, you can help me out with that sometime. <laughs> to make holy. Treat as holy. Set apart as holy. Aorist. 
Uh, we are made sanctified when we get saved, aren't we? At one point in time, we are sanctified before the Lord. We become sanctified. We're holy. God sees us as holy. But we're working in the present, uh, the present uh, passive, excuse me. We are made holy one day at a time, one time, uh, time uh, every day at a time. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ as a new creature, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And when we get saved, we need to call upon the name of the Lord and we need to repent. Don't we? we need to do a 180. Repentance is a 180. You live for Christ. You set that old world behind. Hebrews 10.10, 10, For by the which we were sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. In 1 Peter 1.16, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. And that's not an option, isn't it? That's a command. We are to be holy. We need to live a holy life. That's why it's important to be in church. My last point, I'll stop here with three points. King Hezekiah had a personal heart revival because he loved to worship Jehovah in the temple. He loved the house of God. We're going to see his first order of business when he comes at age of 25. Let's turn to 2 Chronicles 29.3. This would be the parallel passage of his life. And we pick up different things from these two. 29.1 goes about when he started to reign. His mother, Abijah, he did that which was right. Verse 2. Verse 3, in the first year of his reign, in the, in, the, in the month first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. It got so wicked within the king Ahaz's reign that his final years that he shut uh, the doors of the temple. If you can imagine, if our doors were shut and we could not come. I know that we had that during COVID time, didn't we? But that is a, a bad time. And uh, he had a bold, he was a bold lion, as we see Proverbs 28. The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. He was boldly said, it's, we're going to open the temple, not regardless of what any would, anyone would say. That's what he did. He opened the temple. He cleansed the temple. It took 16 days in his first month. Uh, they were supposed to have the Passover, but they wasn't ready for the Passover the first month. They took 16 days to clean out the filthiness, as you would study, in the temple. King David, as we see Psalms, we're going to see in Psalms the reflection of Hezekiah's heart. As he followed uh, not his father Ahaz, he, the Bible said he followed after his father David, his great-great-great-great-grandfather David. And we can see in reflection a picture of Hezekiah's heart. But David would write about the house of God, Psalms 27.4, one thing have I desired of the Lord, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord for all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in its temple. And some people say, well, you know, you, I, can, I can have church on the lake. You know, I'd like to be on the lake too, really. I mean, I'd like to be on the lake. i like to fish uh, to get cool off in the lake. But we need to be in the house of the Lord, don't we? And we need to love the house of the Lord, the beauty of worship, and as we, get in God, as we get in together and sing and hear the preaching, uh, David says, I inquire, inquire in his temple. He's asking questions of things in his life to acquire in the temple. David writes, Psalms 26, 8, Lord, I have loved the habitation of thy house and the place where thine honor dwelleth. 
God's honor is within the church, isn't it? And as he would sing in the songs of degrees, uh, the, those, those songs of, as they would sing the psalms, I believe it's 120 to 130s, uh, they would sing the psalms as they would travel up to uh, every year to the feast. They would sing the psalms of degrees. This is one of those psalms, Psalms 122, verse 1 and 2. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. Because of the house of the Lord, our God, I will seek thy good. And we need to be in God's house, don't we? As much as we can. Not less, but more. Hebrews 10.25. This is commanded in the New Testament. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of the sum is, but exhorting one another so much more as you see the day approaching. And we can see the day approaching, can't we? It doesn't take too long to figure out $31 trillion in debt. We can see the the day coming. We can see as they push uh, this rainbow uh, mafia on us. But we need to pray for them. We need to get God's word. So are you saved? Are you playing a game? Are you saved? Today's the day of salvation. Are you walking with the Lord? Uh, Can they uh, look at your life or my life? Somebody sees you January of 2022. They see you again January 2023. Do they see a difference? They should, shouldn't they? All of us. We should be more like Jesus. And do we love the house of the Lord? Are we faithful? Are we giving our tithes? Faithfully giving our tithes? Are we giving our uh, our offerings for the building fund, for the missions. We don't want to rob God in our offerings, do we? Uh, are we? Are we finding a place to serve in the Lord? That's what really just, in my 20s, went to Liberty University, Liberty Baptist, played football there for a few years. But one thing Dr. Falwell would say, constantly, constantly drill it into us. When you get home, get involved in your local church. He said that to us. And I got back to Calvary Baptist Church, Pastor Dan Dickerson, and I said, I'm here to get involved in my local church. I didn't know what I was getting into. And uh, he asked me, okay, what'd you do at uh, Liberty? I said, well, I sat with bus kids at Thomas Road Baptist Church. And they got back together with uh, Dave Buckley. And uh, they called me into the office and said, we want you to start a bus ministry. And I was, you know, I couldn't say no, could I? I volunteered. So for the next eight years, we did bus ministry and started a bus route to Sanford. And it was great. I felt like I was a missionary to Sanford, Michigan. In our first year, we had over 250 riders. Our first day in the dead of winter, January of 1982, we had 12 riders and eight got saved, and I couldn't believe it. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. Uh, we need to be involved in our local church, don't we? We need to find a place. It was great to see our tables up there, handing out the John R. Romans, and uh, I think Ryan tried to convert me. Uh, I told him I was a good person, but he, he wouldn't put up with that, so... Uh, but thank you so much uh, as we close in prayer. Uh, Pastor Capel, would you like to close? I'll close in prayer then. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the life of King Hezekiah, how he was an Old Testament saint, how he loved you. We would find out later that he would clave to you, uh, cl- the word clave. And uh, we need to cleave to the Lord, even as the days get stronger. We need to be living a sanctified life, a holy life, and to love the house of the Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.